had an opportunity um, over a week ago to go back home for a couple of days, took the children with me, and the um, purpose was just to go hang out. And went to a uh, family farm on Amy's side. We've been there quite a bit before, at least one portion of it. And uh, it's in a nice kind of rolling hill part of Kentucky, real pretty, real scenic. And uh, I'd been on one side of the hill and hadn't really been much on the other. and Was sitting across and enjoying the beautiful scenery and the fall leaves that were starting and looking out across the valley up the other side and could see all the cattle grazing off in the distance. And I really enjoyed sitting there for a while, and I couldn't stop thinking of that wonderful verse that says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I thought about that and thought about that. And that's what I want to talk about today. A thousand hills, cattle on a thousand hills. What does that mean? Well, it isn't really meant to be literal in the sense that there's a thousand hills that he owns. It's meant to imply that God owns everything. Owns everything. That wasn't really Amy's family farm I was standing on. It's his. Those weren't someone else's cows. They were his. And when I left that place and drove home, it wasn't my car. I didn't get back to my house that really was owned by me. It all belongs to him. And that just really has been in my heart and mind for quite a while. So you want to turn to Psalms chapter 50 is where we find this verse. It's one small part of a verse nestled in several others that are important. Psalms chapter 50. I'm going to read probably the first half, verse 15, about the first half. Psalms chapter 50 says as follows, The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempest around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteous, for God is judge himself. Hear, O people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for the sacrifices or the burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullocks out of thy house, nor goat from thy fold. For every beast in the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. 
Will I eat of the flesh of bulls or drink of the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So those are the first 15 verses of Psalms chapter 50. I want to look at just the first part of this and then move into the application of it. We see here that uh, this is the only second place in Scripture that God is used by three different names. Most of our modern translations don't do a good job at this, but we see God used by three different names here. It's very important calling out who and what He is in the very first verse. It says that He has spoken, He has called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. There is not a place on this earth that God is not. We've talked about this multiple times over the years. We've mentioned it a few times recently. God is everywhere. God is in everything at all times. And any time that you are on this earth, God is here with us because He is in all places at all times. And there is not a single place you can go to escape from Him. In some ways that can be terrifying if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And in other ways it's very comforting to know that no matter where I go, God is there with us. We see in verse 2, it talks about out of Zion, the perfection of beauty that God has shined. Zion is often synonymous with the city of God, the place that he loves, Jerusalem. Mount Zion is where David built his uh, city and the temple. We see that out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God has shined. There's tremendous richness in uh, that concept. It says, Our God shall come and shall not be kept silent. A fire shall devour before him, and that shall be a very tempest around him. Now, that may sound incredibly concerning, and in some ways it certainly is. But we see Christ himself telling us in Luke that he came to cast fire on the earth and wished that it was already kindled. We see in Acts 2 too that when the Spirit came, um, had divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We see in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 8 at the end that the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God near the end of times. And so we see this time, that, this, this way that Christ comes and He comes in a purifying fire, if you will, and consumes all the things on earth that are not pure. And so God shall come. He will not keep silent and He will be a fire that devours before him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that they may judge his people. Together, my saints, I'm sorry, gather my saints together unto me that those that may have a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. I want to talk about sacrifice for just a minute. Again, these are themes that seem to be recurring uh, repeatedly, and I don't know if that's because I'm not listening or maybe somebody needs to hear this or what is going on, but let us just review quickly. The Old Testament system for sacrifice was put into place as a temporary measure for us to seek forgiveness for our sins. This system was put into place after Adam sinned and after Adam fell and sin came into the world. And Adam had to 
work and to sacrifice unto God according to how God ordered it to happen. And there had to be blood for that to occur. And if we recall and think back to what it must have been like for a perfect time, we should remember that there was no death, there was no uh, dying of anything. And when Adam sinned, the very first thing that had to be done to cover that up was the sacrifice of an animal to make clothing to cover their shame and their guilt. Now, we've talked about how God has personality as we understand it. My God is infinitely beyond that, so we can't take those things too far. Have you ever stopped to wonder what God thought when he had to take his perfect created animal and kill it and skin it to cover our shame? Of course, that wouldn't be the last time that that happens. For thousands of years, men had to continue sacrificing animals to temporarily assuage and cover the sin that is over us. And over and over again, for thousands of years, there was entire rituals set up around this. And you had to sacrifice so many times a year and sacrifice certain things for certain sins and all of these different things. And this was set up as something to understand that had to be done then and was a foreshadow or a picture of what was coming. And that is the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. We are reminded in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I want to go there just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10 and read a portion of that to put us in remembrance of what has been said about sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read one through verse 18. So follow in mind what I had said about how the old, the law had a requirement for sacrifice and Christ comes and fulfills that law. It says as follows in Hebrews 10, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereto perfect for then they would not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sin. Let me pause there and say the point that he's trying to make here is that a uh, blood sacrifice of an animal was only temporary. It had to be done over and over again. Were it any other way that you could sacrifice an animal once and have been cleansed from sin, but as it were, it is not possible. But in those sacrifices, pick it up in verse 3, there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written, to do thy will, O God. And above, when he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin that wouldest not, neither 
Havest you pleasure, which are in offering by the law? Then he said, Lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And the which are offering, are, I'm sorry, and the which we will, will we, let me start over again, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made a footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Spirit also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts, and in my minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that we had a system set up in place, ordained by God, to have regular sacrifices of animals. But that was inadequate and was simply a way for us to be obedient and to remember on an annual basis what our sins cost us. We were all waiting for the one sacrifice that could finally and wholly give us forgiveness. And while not the entire focus of today's sermon... Is this Jesus Christ who came in the form of God and man and took upon our sins and was sacrificed by God for our sins, who was dead and buried for three days and rose to life conquering sin and is seated at the right hand of God. His sacrifice for one time was sufficient for all mankind past, present and for us future today. There is nothing more that can be done. We do not need to give animal sacrifices. He has done something that no one else could do. He has provided a way out from our sin. And when we read about Old Testament sacrifices, we must consider this and keep this firmly in mind for us to understand what is going on here. So Christ is, if you want to go back to verse 2, out of Zion comes the perfection of beauty. What could be more beautiful than one who can permanently take away our sins? And so we see the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see the difference between uh, the law where we had to have sacrifices and what covenant we are under now, which is Jesus Christ. We are also reminded in verse 6 that the heavens will declare His righteousness. Brothers and sisters, all we have to do sometimes is to stop and look at the heavens around us. All we have to do is look at what God has made for us to stand as I did on a hill and look across to another one and consider our Lord. And if that's not enough, well, the rocks will cry out, as the Scriptures say. But we also know Revelation 19.1, that even heaven itself will cry out. It says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So here's the focus of where we want to spend some time today. He says in verse 8, I will not reprove thee, 
for your sacrifices that have been being offered continually. And so in this setting, in this time when this was given to the Israelite people, it apparently seems that the people were giving physical sacrifices as they ought and had been doing it for some time continuously. They were giving the animal sacrifices as they were told to do. So that is not the issue that God has before them today. Instead, I think it's a question of their heart and their intention. We see in verse 9 through 13 this reminder. Of our, our, we'll read it one more time. It says, I will take no bullock or bull out of your house or goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowl of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and the fullness therein. God is simply reminding us that He already owns everything. This is how I began when I was uh, talking about this. God owns everything. He owns our houses. He owns our cars. He owns our families. There's something we don't want to give away very often. And He owns us. He owns it all. This is very, very, very hard for us today because we are in a very, very materialistic society. And I think if you go back a hundred or more years, it probably would have been easier to understand this because you lived according to how nature would follow. If you had a drought, you didn't harvest. If you had lots of rain, then you potentially had a bountiful harvest. The wind and the rain and the snow, these things impacted everything about us. And there was a little bit easier, perhaps, for us to understand that we were living at the very whim and pleasure of God. But today we take things and we bend it to our own will. Today we have more than we could possibly imagine, both in wealth and the volume of possessions. And somehow we have gotten a sickness in our mind and we think that it belongs to me. That puts us in a very selfish spot. And very rarely do we step back and truly thank God for all that He has given us and the stewardship that we're supposed to have over it, how we're supposed to care for it. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to go sell everything. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. But my point is this. Whatever He has given you to take care of is yours to take care of and to use for what? For His glory. It's not mine to do whatever I want to with it. I don't get to make those decisions unless I've been given the freedom to do that. We would all do very well to remember not only that we are here for a temporary amount of time, but every possession that I think that I have is on loan from God. And I may be called to account to testify to how I've used it. The sooner we realize this, and can place our lives in the proper context, I think, the better for us. So let me ask this question. If God owns everything, if everything belongs to Him, including myself, what could I possibly give Him that He doesn't already have? Think about that. Does He need our money? No. Does he need my house? No. 
Does he need this church building? He has no need of anything. And if he did, he wouldn't tell us. That's the way the scripture puts it. So what is it that God actually wants from us? What is it that he actually desires from us? Well, Micah asked the same question. What does the Lord require of thee? What does he want, O oh man, from you? What does he want you to do? Because he doesn't necessarily need our stuff, but he does have something that he wants. He wants us. He wants us to be obedient to him because he will not force his will upon us. I have the choice every day, every moment to whether I will be obedient to him or I will be disobedient to him. And while he may own physically everything, he gives me the choice for what to do with it. And what he wants is for me to love him and to be obedient to him. And if you want to give something back to God who has given us everything, then we ought to give him what? Our love and our obedience. That's the answer. You see, if you sacrifice something that isn't yours, it isn't really a sacrifice. I don't tell a lot of stories or examples, but let me, let me try one real quick and see if it works. Everybody here knows that, that Mike has cows. If I go to drive down the road one day and uh, have a trailer and I pull up to his house and he's, he's inside doing something and he doesn't know it, but I, I take one of his cows. And about an hour later, I make a few laps out here in the county and I, I pull back in and I drive up to his house and I knock on the door. I said, Mike, I got something for you. He said, what? I said, well, you come out here and let's see. So we, we, we walk outside, take him to the trailer, open it up. And I said, look at that Hereford. She's a beauty. And he said, yeah, she is. It uh, looks like my tag in her ear. I said, oh, well, but I'm giving you this gift. Aren't you happy that you have this? And scratches his head and said, well, Brother Ben, I'm pretty sure she's mine. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. She might have been yours, but she wasn't for like an hour. I took her. I'm going I'm to give her to you now. He's like, well, that's kind of like giving back what I already have. So well, don't, don't look at it that way. You're supposed to be excited and surprised that I'm giving you a cow. I mean, these things are expensive. Would that make any sense? Do we do the same thing to God? Do we take what he's already given us and somehow think he's going to be impressed that we give it back to him? When what he really, really wants is our obedience to him, you see. He wants love from us. What Mike really wants was what he called a couple of years ago and asked me to do. Come help him find the lost cow. Because what I gave him that day, and my two kids, was something that wasn't his. That was my time to go walk through a field on a hot day to try and find a calf that was lost. And what God really, really wants and needs from us is our obedience and our time to give back to the things that he wants us to do. I'm not saying that giving is wrong. I talked about that last week. I'm not saying that we shouldn't give things away to people, but we must do it with an understanding that he already owns everything that we're giving, except for what? Our obedience. This is where we have our free will and our choice. And what God really, really wants from us is to give ourselves to him and service to him. Not to take something he gave us and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to give it back. 
God doesn't need anything. And the things that he's given us, well, certainly there's times and ways we should tithe, we should give, but I understand what he wants most is for us to give our lives to him. We see this in verse 14 and 15. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows to the Most High. See, the problem that Israel was having was not that they weren't sacrificing, but that they were doing it with the wrong heart. In fact, they sacrificed a lot, but the problem is they were either doing it out of a ritual or because they thought it would bring them prosperity. It doesn't really work that way. God's asking us to be thankful for the blessings that he's given us and to demonstrate our gratitude by repaying the vows that we've made to him. Have you ever made a vow to God? That might be kind of a dangerous thing to do. We might forget. Do you think he does? Brothers and sisters, if God has led us to do something and we tell him that we'll do it, well, we'd better do it. Thankfulness for his blessings, verse 14, offer thanksgiving to God and pay the vows unto the most high God. What do we owe him for saving us? Everything that we are. Everything that he's given us physically and everything that we are in our free will. We must acknowledge him and claim absolute dependence on him. Verse 15, and call upon thee in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt what? Glorify me. You see, we are called unto God, not just to give back what he's already given us, but to be thankful for what he's given us and to fulfill the vows and the promises that we make to God and to acknowledge him before the wicked world. And we're to use the things he gave us to do that. Not in a ritualistic way where every week I do this or every six months I do this, but in a way that we have a relationship with God because He is here with us and wants the relationship. Offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows. They had the wrong heart. Where is yours? Let me just review what God does not want or need. He does not need our sacrifices. He does not want our worship to be an obligation. Now, I don't think that's a huge issue for many of us here today. <clears throat> I've talked to some of you. The few months that we were away during COVID, it was really hard on a lot of people, wasn't it? Because we enjoyed worshiping together and we enjoyed being together. And that was a beautiful reminder of what we are at risk of losing. He wants our worship not to be something that we do from a ritualistic perspective, but he wants it to come out of our hearts, out of a pure love for him. When we stand together or sit together and sing a hymn, it shouldn't be just because, well, he called the number, I'm going to sit here and read the words. But it should be something we do out of true thankfulness. And as we think about 
the Thanksgiving season that comes up, what are we truly thankful for? Are we thankful for the possessions and things that He gave us? Sure. Are we thankful that He was the one sacrifice that for all times can allow me to have the forgiveness of sin and restore the relationship with Him? That ought to be what we are most thankful for. That ought to be what we live to strive after. That ought to be what we glorify Him among other men and women with. He doesn't want our obligation to worship. He wants our true and pure worship. And he stands in opposition to the idea that you and I actually own anything. So what does he really want? He desires us to be obedient. If you recall the story of Saul, Samuel confronted him, gave a beautiful verse. I've studied this for years. 1 Samuel 15 and 22 And Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Well, better to obey than to sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to obey Him. And that's a tall order. You see, I could take everything I own and give it away once. I don't have it anymore. If I want to obey God, I can't just do it one day, one time. I have to do it how often? Continuously, over and over and over again. It is something that we should do every day, every hour, every moment to obey Him. And you know what? It's really hard. It's really hard. It's totally worth it if you can. God wants us to obey Him. If you're still in Psalms, you can flip a few pages back to Psalms 40 and see it mentioned here. Many, O Lord my God, are Thy wonderful works which Thou hast done, and Thy thoughts which are usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto Thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offerings thou does not desire. Mine ears has thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings thou has not required. What does God want? Our hearts. He wants us. He wants us to know Him. He wants to be known by us. And He wants us to love Him. Proverbs 21 and 2 says, To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than to sacrifice. Judgment's talking about righteousness, living a righteous life. Those of you who do not know the Lord in this way, those of you who've never been saved, what does God want? He wants you to humble yourself and come to Him and seek His forgiveness so that He can begin the relationship that He died to restore with you. He wants to remove the sin from your life. He wants to restore you to a right standing with His. And He wants to make you heir to what? To everything He owns. See, my Heavenly Father 
owns it all. Cattle on a thousand hills. And it delights the Lord to give it to his children. And if you've never come to the saving knowledge of him, that is absolutely what he wants. And some of you will actually have to sacrifice some things to get there. Oh, you can't get there by giving money. You can't get there by giving away your possessions. But what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to get over yourself. You have to sacrifice your pride. You're going to have to humble yourself before an almighty God and seek him first. Sometimes that's really, really hard to do. Those of us who do know the Lord, the saints among us, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I've said things like this before. God wants your obedience more than what you think you own. God wants our obedience more than what we think that we own. Because the reality is, we don't really own anything. God desires for our obedience. God desires for us to be thankful to Him. God desires that we call upon Him. God desires that we fulfill our vows to Him. God desires that we do whatever it is He asks us to do. Are you being obedient to God? The one who owns it all anyway. It's the only real question that matters. As I mentioned, for those who don't know the Lord, you're actively disobedient. It's not a question of what did I do today that was wrong. It's the very fact that you are wrong by state of your condition before God. And for those of us who have been saved, who know the Lord, the question is, what will we do when we leave this place in a few minutes? The question is, how will you sing the song we may sing here in a minute? Will you sing it in a way that is truly worshipful for him? Or will you just be in the rote memorization, the rote tradition? Well, we always sing a song at the end. And I'm just going to open in the hymnal and mouth the words. Or will you truly praise and worship God like he deserves Will you go out and live today and tomorrow and this week a life that is worthy of the calling that he gave you? Will you be willing to sacrifice everything that you have control over, which is yourself, in order to please the one who owns everything and forgave you everything? That is the question. That is the calling. What does he require of thee, O man, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is the great challenge that is set before us. That is the adventure of life. That is the thing that we will all strive to do and never reach mastery until I am no longer weighed down by this body. But until that time, I beg everyone to join me. Try our best to do what God would have us to do.